Ja, let's do the video. This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Hire.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They offer legal and accounting and tax support. And they'll give you $2,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $4,000 instead. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Freelancer Show. This episode is sponsored by Nerd.us. Do you wish that somebody else would handle all of those operation details when it comes to hosting your client's web applications? Nerd.us is a Ruby on Rails managed hosting designed to make your life easy. They migrate everything for you, and new signups or referrals come with a $100 discount or a referral fee. To sign up, go to freelancershow.com slash nerd. That's freelancershow.com slash N-I-R-D, and enter freelancer into the contact form for a discount. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 178 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Howdy. Jonathan Stark. Hello. Reuven Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about building paid communities or communities that are add-ons to products or however you want to look at that uh, from our conversation or last week with uh, Keith. So, Jonathan, you said you have a lot of experience with this. Do you have a direction that we can kind of go in first? I think so, yeah. So, this idea spawned out of last week, Keith Perhack. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. He was talking about, we were talking about bundling info products with a community, you know, so like how do you price something? You know, you can only price an ebook so high, but if maybe you have a bundle where a higher tier offers access to a community, say a Facebook group that is focused on the same thing, that sort of stuff. We're talking about that, and uh, I, I think that's a really interesting idea, and it's relatively new, I guess. It seems relatively new, although probably that's just my ignorance of probably like, you know, all sorts of weird zine things that were happening back in the 80s or whatever. But uh, yes, my experience with this is that I've put together in my coaching, there it's, it's like a productized service where we talk one-on-one, depending on the level of plan, either monthly or weekly or unlimited over email. But also there's access to a member chat room. It's a private Slack room where people, uh, you know, come in to ask questions and bounce ideas off of each other in between phone calls. And it's a group of paid students, but also a few other folks who are basically additional mentors. So it's not just me in there with a bunch of students. And it's really interesting. I think that honestly, I, I think that it's the most valuable piece. I think it's more valuable than the phone calls, but you know, at any rate, it's beneficial, I think, to them very much, but it's also beneficial to me in a couple of ways. One that is that I get tons of content out of it. So people ask questions all the time that are really good questions because they're, they're always in the cracks where I didn't describe something well enough previously. So a question that will come up in between phone calls is usually one that is about a nuance. So, you know, for me, it's really interesting to get at those things and then maybe do, you know, once we understand it and come to a conclusion, can create a blog post out of it or uh, send an email to my list about that particular thing. And so it's educational for everybody and it adds a lot of value and allows me to charge more money for the product and also help people more so that they're not waiting, you know, for a week in between calls or whatever. So there's that background and we can, you know, people are welcome to ask questions about that. But uh, I'm also involved with paying for being in, so I'm a, a customer of some of these things too. I'm in Michael Port's Book Yourself Solid mentoring and I've also taken his intensive. And the community aspect of it is so beneficial. Uh, it's probably my favorite part. And, uh, you know, and this is coming as a cut from a pure customer standpoint. And it's so easy to do. I mean, there's so many tools that make it so easy for people across time zones and, and you know, uh, all over the world anytime to just jump into whatever it is, a Facebook group or a Slack room or uh, whatever. I guess that's my background with it. So I can sort of see it from both sides. So I guess if we wanted to, like, open it up from there, it might be a good idea. It's funny because when we talk about this, I've also done, we have a community for Ruby Rogues that's fairly active, but it's a forum. It's not actually a chat room. And so there are different types of communities that you can set up, and it depends on how your uh, community wants to 
pull things together. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up because last, I think it was last week, I in the in my coaching Slack, I onboarded uh, three new people. And the way Slack works for people who don't know, it's just this, we just have one channel. It's just this long stream of tens of thousands of messages. And, you know, it's like Twitter, basically. There's just, you, so for a new person to come in and they can't really, it's absurd to like imagine going back and even searching through it, never mind scrolling through it. And even people who are maybe, you know, not on it for the weekend, they'll come in on Monday and be like, there's 800 messages from over the weekend. I can't even go back and look at them. So I'll just, so you just can't, you know, when the case of Slack, I was like, geez, I feel like people are maybe missing out on good pieces of information since we're not, since it's not more like a forum, like you just said. So I, I asked them, I said, what would you think about switching over from a Slack or additionally adding a forum where we could have more threaded conversations, you know, like forum style, you could come in and see like, oh, here's some common topics or these are pin topics or these are busy topics. And everybody unanimously was like, no way that's not, that will not work. And I was kind of surprised by that. But on the one hand, but on the other hand, I do kind of get it where they just want the, it just feels like too much work, you know? And since I am pulling out the kind of nuggets of information, like when we all level up on some particular topic, like sending a, a cold email to outreach, you know, cold outreach email to somebody in a particular situation, and we sort of all go back and forth and come up with what we think is the best way to do it, I'll pull that out and make it a blog post so then people can refer to it later. So we don't have to re-answer it in the room every time. And so later when someone comes along and they have a, a similar situation, somebody can just link them to it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of, I'm not going to say it's the same thing, but it it has a similar result where there's this static knowledge base that comes out of it. But then there's this, basically what we settled on was like, okay, we'll just treat Slack like you're walking into a busy pub and you're, you know, a million things were discussed in the pub last night. You missed it. And now that you're here, you can participate, but don't think like you need to go back and watch the security tapes or whatever, whatever you would do. <laughs> How do you feel about it, though, as a moderator? Because that's one of the things that I've run into myself is that, for example, with Ruby Rogues Parlay, you know, we moderate the forum and um, we have the conversations on the forum. And I feel like I feel some responsibility to, like, know what's in every thread. But at the same yeah. time, I don't have time to read everything that comes into that forum. Totally. Yeah. And that's that's kind of how it came up because I was I did two speaking gigs back to back. So I was traveling and I wasn't in the room as much as I feel like I should have been. I mean, they're paying uh -huh. me to be in there. Right. And so when I came back, I mean, there are literally like twenty five hundred messages. And oh so I, I went in and I was like, you guys, I can't. It's ridiculous. It'd be ridiculous for me to go back and read through all this stuff. So I'm here now. If you asked me something or if there's something you want me to re reply to and you're waiting for me to get back to you, just re-ask it right uh -huh. now. And everybody was totally cool with that. Well, the other nice thing about Slack, too, is that they can ping you on a private channel. I don't allow that, actually. Oh, you don't? No, that's a different level of... <clears throat> that's a higher level. I mean, you have to pay for that level. To oh, have Private conversations. Yeah, I don't want people having private conversations because then only they learn. So, like, Wait, they, the, be the beauty of it is that everyone's learning from each other and participating. And, right. and that's the power of this model, I think. Yes, I think so. So you can pay more to have, sometimes people have sensitive information that they don't want to share with a room and that's just a higher level of access that I don't accommodate for, you know, for the same price. So I have about 10 zillion questions on this that I want to ask. <laughs> so are you paying for Slack then at that level? Oh yeah, I'm paying a lot. Mm -hmm. It's like a thousand dollars a year or something. Okay. Cause uh, I have a paid Slack and I have like three people in it for like some of the development I do or, in, or have other people do for me. Mm -hmm. And that's hooked into our CI and things like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, it, it would get really expensive if you had a lot of people in here with those kinds of integrations. I mean, it's yep. free to a certain point and then you have to pay. So well, what, if you what, want what access to you, I actually have no idea. The difference is that if you, well, first of all, you can only have so many free members. So if yes. you want to go over a certain threshold, you have to pay. But the thing that kills every Slack room I'm in, the, the reason why they started paying was not because of the number of members. It was because you can only have 10,000 messages in your history. Yeah. And I'm in some Slack rooms that do that in a day. So or, and I shouldn't say some. I'm in one Slack room that's that busy that you'll go through 10,000 messages in a day. So And they don't pay for the history. So like you totally missed it. There's no searching mm -hmm. it, nothing. Mm -hmm. But I definitely wanted to be able to search it. I want people to be able to go back and, and essentially not re-ask me when they know the answer's back there somewhere. So it kind of saves me money in a sense. 
And well, history is valuable. Absolutely. Yeah, extremely. That's that, that might be one of the most important things like you're producing there because mm-hmm. this community is growing and like growing over time is coming up with new ideas, not just asking questions, but like coming up with solutions. And this way you can just say to someone, Oh, we talked about this two months ago, take a look at it. And then if you have new ideas respond. Yep. Yeah. In that case, usually, just to be specific, usually in that case, I will go back, do the search, do the blog, blog post and send them a link to it because it's just super valuable. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a really easy way for me to, <clears throat> create content without really painlessly you know it's like something about answering somebody's question is so much easier than sitting down at a blank text editor and coming oh, up with a so true. Yes. so true <laughs> so it's because you know who you're talking to uh-huh. it, it's because you know their level of sophistication so you don't have to like kind of backpedal all over the place and explain stuff that you know they know so you know what i mean it's like it makes it just so much easier so that's usually what I would do in that case, but I need to be able to go back and search. And even if you're the admin, if you're mm-hmm. not paying, you can't go back and search through the, me- the, the right. message history. The, another thing about Slack, if you want to talk about Slack, is that uh, you can have, for every paid member, you can have X number of lower, of free members who have limited permissions. And I think one of the limited permissions is that they can only be in the, I don't know what they're called, like associate members or something. Single so channel guest. Yes. There you go. And that's the, the limitation is they can only be in one channel, but I only have one channel, so that's not really a big limitation. Right. So the lowest level is single single channel. And then if you want beyond that, then you have to pay up for the extra access. Yeah. It's it's pricey. It, it's yeah. a lot. But if I had one I liked better, I'd switch to it. But I really, there, there isn't one that I know of. I mean, I think Facebook, it depends on the size of the group. And, and I should mention that the group I've gotten Slack is fewer than 20 people, around 20 people. Okay. And if it got bigger than that, it might get a little unwieldy. So I'll probably keep it the maximum of 20. But I'm in a bunch of other ones, the Michael Port, Book Yourself Solid stuff and Brennan Dunn's, I'm a mentor, one of the Brennan Dunn mm-hmm. groups. And it's really nice, but if it gets busy, you just get lost. Like I can't figure out where stuff is. Like I'll get a notification on my phone and then I can't find and I'm like, Oh, I need to respond to that. And then I can't find it. <laughs> you know, it's like a reply to a comment and it's, yeah, it's just too, it seems like it would be attractive in a, on the lower volume groups. It is pretty cool. But once you get really nested way in there, it's brutal and it's really hard to pull that information back out into like a blog post, let's say, because you can't just copy paste it. It's all nested weird and you might as well just retype it. So it's pretty great because it's free and it's fast and it's mobile friendly and it's available on every platform. But all of those, really all of those things, Slack, I think, does a little bit better for me. And mm-hmm. the only downside of Slack is that it's expensive. Yeah, I know that the Facebook groups are pretty popular. In fact, at Podcast Movement, there were at least one or two talks where they talked about how to use Facebook groups to create a community around your podcast. And in a lot of those cases, I mean, it was free, right? It was, it was a free group and you just kind of moderated it and it was a marketing channel for you. But if we're talking about, you know, people actually paying to be part of that community, I really do. I really like the idea of having that kind of a chat channel. In fact, um, I can also tell you that the Ruby Rogues Parlay group, they tried to set up an official Rogues IRC channel. Mm. And the issue was that none of the Rogues had time to go in there and moderate it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we made them change it to rogues fans or something, you know, so that then they could talk about the show and we didn't have to run it. Mm-hmm. And so I know that there's definitely segments of communities out there that want something like that. And I'm thinking about adding it on as something for like rails clips or something. So, I mean, the basic level where you get all the videos is $10 a month, but then, you know, I could bump it up so that it's, you know, so that I'm not losing money having them in a chat community or something. Right. You know, on that note, I think it might be interesting to talk about why someone would want to do this. You know, like we're, we're, mm-hmm. we've kind of covered a number of use cases, but I don't think we've really talked about like it's more than just a way to justify more money for a product, right? Right. I mean, the way I see it is anytime people have to change their behavior, especially the more difficult that behavior change becomes, the more they can benefit from some kind of community element or this type of interaction model because, you know, like if I wanted to go from uh, hourly billing to implementing value-based fees, right? Just yes, pick, pick exactly. a common topic mm-hmm. here. I can't just decide to do that it's, no matter how much I want to. And I feel like that's kind of the context in which a group becomes super valuable, right? Is when you've got that difficult behavior change and it just takes 
freaking time to change your how you think about things and how you do things. And I'm curious in that context, if you guys have seen any patterns of what works better, what works worse. I think that might be interesting. That's a great point because I've written a couple of books that were straight up code books and there's like zero benefit to a community for that stuff. It's like so binary. It's like, here's how you do it. Here's the code. Here's the repo. You can download the code. You can paste it. It's going to work. And it would have been potentially beneficial to me to have a community because then I could have, you know, marketed follow-up products to them, but I don't see the benefit of it to them really. Right. But I love that you characterize it. It's, it's like perfect generalization to say that it's behavior change thing because it's really, when you have this huge change of mindset, even at the point when they understand rationally what you're saying, like, you know, you should quit smoking, you know, you should go to the gym. But there are these moments when you have this sort of crisis of faith and the fear kicks in or you just can't get your head around how to implement something. It's just like, okay, I understand that I need to be thinking more about my customer. But when it comes time to write my web page and I'm staring at that empty browser window, do I change my old hero image? Like, and you have to make all these really tactical down in the dirt uh, so that they'll get overwhelmed with like, you know, decision paralysis over the silliest little, I shouldn't say silly, but you can't get too overwhelmed with, uh, small decisions. You need to be able to maintain perspective on, you know, there's, there's going to be a thousand decisions you make as you're doing your, say your, a landing page or your new site. You just, you know, you just need a general, sometimes they need someone to just be like, okay, don't, yes, that's, you know, potentially uh, something we could talk about, but it's much less of a big deal than these other things that you've already solved, which is writing the new copy for the page. That's the most important part. Or maybe, you know, setting your positioning first and then writing the copy. Yes, there are probably a million decisions, especially for somebody who's sensitive to stuff like this about how to actually design the page, you know, what typography should I use and all these little decisions that prevent people from shipping, basically, where, you know, I'm I'm a total 80-20 guy. It's like, get that thing out there get the minimum viable thing out there, get feedback. Cause a lot of times the decisions that you're agonizing over can only be answered by your audience and can't be answered by you no matter how long you think about it. So it's a long way to say, you know, that it is behavior, but also mindset perspective, all that stuff. And it, and when it doesn't happen instantaneously, like, Oh, here's how I set the viewport tag for, you know, the viewport meta tag for mobile. It's like, okay, now I have to start talking to my customers differently from now on. And then they have to be like, okay, Stark, here's a scenario. What should I have said or what could I say in this scenario? And it's just this constant, yeah, it's like, I mean, that's why I call it coaching. That's what it's like. You know, it's like, you know, upping somebody's tennis game. You just have to kind of be there and just hammer on it over and over and over in a lot of different ways. Yeah, some of the community things like we're talking about that I'm a part of, half the benefit is seeing other people go through that stuff. Even though it's not an issue that's up for me at the moment, it's still, you know, I still benefit tremendously. Like I have a a mentoring thing that I do around positioning. And when I launched that, at first I was like, I I was launching at a group thing in order to create an attractive price point. And I thought at first that group aspect was kind of a drawback. And three weeks into it, I realized it was a massive advantage. You know, just very quickly, it became apparent that person A getting to see, you know, person B and the quote unquote instructor work something out provides a lot of value to person A. It's happened to me already that I can see people saying they already know what I'm going to say. So like people who have been in it longer be like, well, you know, they may or may not agree or maybe they're not there yet, but they know what I'm going to say. Right. And they're right right. all the time. They're always right. It's like, yeah. Well, occasionally somebody will miss a nuance, but it's almost like, I mean, it's certainly not, it's nowhere near autopilot. That's for sure. Like it still needs moderation. Like I need to be in there on a daily basis. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask. Like when you say moderation though, does that mean directing the conversation? Does it mean answering questions? What are you doing in terms of moderating? Yeah. I mean, it's not moderating in the forum sense or like in the, you know, the, like the old school trolls sense. That's not a problem. Like these are people who are paying a lot of money to be, you know, be in there and they've gone through an application process where we've already spoken on the phone and I know they're going to be a good fit. So I've already, so moderation, they're sort of pre-moderated in the sense that I wouldn't want someone in there who had a, a, a personality that wasn't going to click, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's just so hard to, you just can't, 
you know, there's no way around that. So it's kind of like, I think I sidestep a lot of the, you know, the sort of traditional term moderation, the troll stuff. I don't have to worry about any of that. How I actually spend my time in there is usually reading back over threads as far back as is reasonable, making sure that I'm on track with what's going on with people and basically answering questions, which usually amounts to sometimes it's like very straightforward. You know, I just need to type a paragraph in response. Other times there it's happening more and more frequently that people are posting in links to Google Docs where a, a group of people will Corp sort of, you know, Philip being one of them would be in the room and be like, oh, yeah, I'm really into whatever, you know, Philip or Kai is really great with with copy. And so somebody might be working on a landing page and the three of us will like click on the Google link and go over and have at it, you know, just like re-edit the page or add comments to it. Uh, but Slack's the jumping off point for everything. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I don't do much else in there. Occasionally we'll do like if somebody can't make their weekly phone call, we'll reschedule it in there. Or something. But it's, mo- it's mostly just answering questions. This has not happened as much, but yeah, listeners should know I'm one of the part-time mentors, I guess, in Jonathan's room or kind of, you know, sidekicks or whatever. (laughs) I've seen you sort of keep your ear to the ground about trends, you know, like things you kind of see bubbling up and you'll sometimes kind of proactively speak to an issue that you see underneath the surface. I guess that's the other thing I would add. And and I do the same in, in my mentoring group is I, I try to get a sense of who's dealing with what. And I do let people private message me. Uh, so if something bubbles up in that private channel that I think everybody would benefit from, I try to surface that to the whole group. Mm-hmm. I see that as kind of part of the moderation uh, role. I've started up, so so I've also started coaching recently, <laughs> and I definitely, <laughs> and, and because I ripped off other wiser people's uh, programs, uh, meaning mostly Jonathan, I mean, I saw on Jonathan's page that he had a Slack community, I said, oh, clearly, like, this is clearly something I want to do, and I've sort of taken it a little further than that, at least in theory, or in what I've promised and what I'm planning to do. So, I mean, my, my coaching has to do with technical training, and right now I've got two people doing it with probably a third and a fourth coming on the next few weeks. And I've had to sort of jumpstart the Slack channel, not because, haha, they're a bunch of slackers, but just <laughs> doesn't get better, folks. But basically because um, I just, it's small, it's all new, no one sort of knows what to do. So I've been sort of pushing a few messages out there saying, hey, you should really try this and you should really try that. And I found these things to be effective. And that sort of did help to jumpstart it. But then the two people who are in my program, they started talking, they said, hey, why don't we do a mastermind together to hold each other accountable? And I was so, so, so happy to see that happen. But my plan is sort of to then sort of go further than that. There's uh, some research done by someone who's in my uh, in my program at Northwestern where what she does is she has teachers in schools uh, watch each other teach. Like they video – it's called a video club and they watch each other teach and then they critique each other. And I'm hoping to do that with my group and we're going to use the Slack channel and we're going to figure out exactly how it goes. But that community, I think, that aspect and the feedback you get from other people may well be – far more powerful, as Jonathan was saying, than anything I can provide. Because then you're really getting feedback from your peers on stuff that, you know, you're doing day to day. I'm definitely hoping to see that like expand over time. I've had one sort of not pushback, but just a sort of a couple of things have happened in there that surprised me uh, or that I just took completely differently than I thought everyone else was taking it, which, for example, you know, Philip would give or, you know, one of the other mentors who were in there would give like a like an amazing spot on answer to somebody's question, but they'll still like wait for me to kind of approve it. Like say, yes, mm-hmm. this was this. I agree with Philip's advice or I agree. Stark with approved. Yeah, exactly. And, it's like, <laughs> and, and what it's, if you don't, right? Like that is bad advice. <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes it's pretty rare, but occasionally I'll say that, you know, I'll know more about the student than the other person does. Mm-hmm. And so somebody might be in there and kind of like questioning things that, you know, so the mentor might be like, well, why don't you do this? And I already know the answer to that because the student has already given me a reason why they don't want to do something. You know, they have like a whatever they don't, you know, they don't want to do public speaking gigs because they're just petrified to do that. So we're okay. We're going to work on something else. So it's, then it's kind of annoying for the student because then they have to dredge up all of this information that I already know from having phone calls with them, but are not obvious to the rest of the people in the room. Mm-hmm. That's only happened maybe three or four times though. It's not too bad. And usually I'll sometimes in that case, I'll DM the person, the, the mentor and be like, oh, just drop it. It's a long story, or, uh, <laughs> you know, or, but that's that's I, I think that's only happened once, you know, where somebody was really riding somebody else and like, you know, doing, you know, pushing them like you would as a coach. But it's too long of a story to get into the slack room. And I can see the student tr- trying to like, you know, trying to 
not go into the whole long story, but be like, well, you know, Jonathan decided not to do that with me or whatever. So I wasn't surprised in retrospect. I wasn't expecting it. But, you know, they're, I'm the one that's getting paid. So I'm the, I'm the one they trust. I'm the one they hired. And I didn't do a great job sort of uh, saying, like, just to use Philip as an example, I didn't do a great job of being like, Philip's amazing at this. Everything I know about this subject, I learned from him. Anything that he says, I totally agree with. You know, so when I'm onboarding people, I haven't, I didn't do a great job of doing that. So um, that's really, it was just something I learned. You can do better with, with new people. The other thing was that I think all of the value that we're talking about here, all of the, you know, seeing the community conversations and people learning from each other and starting up their own, you know, you know, there's already some talk happening where some people are, have one expertise and other people have another expertise and maybe they're going to hire each other or they're going to uh, recommend, you know, make referrals to friends and that sort of thing because you get, you really get to know each other in a Slack. You really do. And so I thought, geez, this is the most valuable part of the whole thing. The phone calls are a joke compared to this, you know, but in terms of, you know, level of effort, they're more effort for, for me, they're more effort for the student and they're they just like scheduled synchronously and, they, you know, people have to move them around. It's like sort of, you know, they're valuable for sure, but it seemed like the Slack room, if I was going to chop off anything, I would think the Slack room would be the most valuable thing. But I've talked to a couple of the students and they're like, no. The phone calls by far are the most beneficial in the Slack rooms. Nice to have, but, you know, I don't know if I'd pay for it if it was just that. Like if that was an, a solo offering where somebody could wow. just be in the Slack room. Yeah, that's what I was like really shocked, but that's <laughs> what they said. So I will say that one of them has retroactively come back and said, you know, I said I wouldn't pay for it, but I actually would pay for it, but I wouldn't pay a lot for it. So now this is someone who graduated already and it, but is still in the Slack room. And I think now that we're not having regular phone calls, he, he's starting to feel what it would feel like if he was also cut off from the Slack community because he'd be, he'd be back by himself. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. At the beginning with, oh, sorry. That's all right. They're probably all going to listen to this. So I'm not, I don't want to out anybody, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, th- I think there's a ton of value there. And, you know, if people don't agree, that's up to them. But, uh, We'll see. As I said, I'm still at the beginning with this whole thing, but I've already sort of decided I want to have people with a variety of experience levels. And so I'm even toying with the idea of after someone has finished up with the, the coaching program, when they've said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pay for this anymore, keeping them around in the Slack channel for at least a little while will mm-hmm. probably be useful. Like yes. it'll be nice to be in touch with them and they will be able to answer questions and give insights that either I can't or just from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I had the same thought. Everybody who's in there currently is like grandfathered in for life. But there will be a point when I need to. The reason I'm even talking about charging for it at all is because there's a point where I won't be able to do that because there'll be too many people. I think if it goes over 20 people who are active on a weekly basis, it'll be way too busy. So we'll, I'll have to see. I, I don't really want to charge for it. I'd much rather have people just stay in there forever. Uh, because it's great. It's like free market research for me, and it's just right. ups my game. It's great for them. It's great for everybody. So are um, people it, not if it's paying, too busy? Are people not paying to be in your Slack then? They're paying one price for everything. So when they, but the the question is when they right now it's like a monthly. You pay by the month, right? And when you stop paying, I let you stay in the room. So if you've you know if you've been coaching with me for at least a month you've gone through my uh, intake process you've been onboarded you drank the kool-aid basically you understand what you understand the concepts and you're on board with the concepts you're just trying to implement them i feel like once somebody's through that process and they're then they're going to be an asset to everybody including me so i want that person in the room it's just this the trade-off of like well how do, do i need to limit it maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe it'll be okay if we go over 20 i don't know I guess and the, so the other... idea of charging for it eventually is to just be like, you know, so that it stays around 10 or 20 people. The other bit that I see, though, is that it still costs you to have that account on your Slack, correct? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but as long as I have like 10 paid students, I can have something like 50 single channel mm-hmm. users. So I'll, I'll never, mm-hmm. that won't be an issue. So if I wanted to set this up, I mean, I've been doing Rails clips for the past few months course rails clip subscribers will remind me that i am sitting on like five videos that i need to release but anyway <laughs> so let's nice. say that i wanted to start something like this up for rails clips i mean i definitely see the value in people asking questions and kind of giving me ideas for different products that i could create or different videos that i could put together or different problems that they're trying to solve 
but how do I get this started and how do I get those kinds of things answered? I mean, we've talked about some of this, but I don't know if we've directly done this. So I create a Rails Clips Slack community, let's say, and then do I just use their APIs to invite all the people from the who have paid subscriptions? Chuck, how many how many people are we talking about here? Because I think that matters. Mm, definitely. I had like how many? I had like a hundred backers on. Did I have a hundred backers? I I, I want to say that there were like seventy backers on Kickstarter that mm-hmm. I would have to invite, which I would be delighted to do. And I don't think all of them would be super active because some of them supported it just because they like me, not because they do Rails. And then I have about twelve people that uh, backed another campaign that I gave away memberships on. And so I would invite them in. And then I probably have another 10 or 15 people who have actually paid since. Okay. So around 100 people. Yeah. I I think you'll definitely see in a community of that size, a sort of short head, long tail, kind of a power law distribution on people's activity level. Uh So, I mean, one of the questions I think anybody needs to answer is, does this need to be a more real-time, synchronous kind of interaction or does it need is is it okay if it's asynchronous more like you know forum style i mean you said slack and i assume that's the right model but that may not be the right model for every community so i think that's one of the first things in terms of implementation is to think about what kind of style of interaction is going to be best yeah i mean one thing that i'm seeing here is that you know so ten dollars a month gets you the videos and so I could see like 20 or $25 will get you into the Slack channel as well, where you can basically ask me whatever you want when I'm around. And so you do get the real-time aspect and you get to collaborate with the other Rails Clip subscribers, which could also be valuable. So I definitely see value there for the subscribers, but you know, I, then I'd have to be in there to moderate it. And so I'd want to charge more so that it's kind of making up for some of that time. Yeah, I mean, I'm in some Facebook groups and a bunch of Slack channels like... 10 at least. And uh, I'm very sort of becoming, uh, what's the word, just sort of hypersensitized to what kind of things I allow in it to interrupt me. Mm-hmm. And, and with Slack, that's a much bigger issue than it is with something like Facebook. Yeah. I mean, I think I have a different experience with Facebook than Jonathan does because I don't use Facebook on my phone at all, period. You know, it's for me, it's a desktop only experience. And it I haven't had as I, I found it kind of more compatible with the idea that I'm going to go check in once a day or twice a day and answer questions. Anyway, that that's all back to, you know, how you want this to fit into your <laughs> into your work life. But it's how, like if you're going with Slack, I would say the next step is to figure out how you're going to invite everybody. Mm-hmm. I know some people do that uh, programmatically. I've seen some Slack groups where anybody can go to a web page and put their email address and then they get invited to that Slack group. Uh, and then you can do it manually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know much beyond that, but real tactically, that's like the next thing you'd have to figure out is how you're going to get all those people into your Slack channel. Yeah. Well, I mean, I believe they have an API, so I should be able to just hook it up. Yeah, if, if that's worth the time and effort. I think you could probably also upload a CSV and do it yeah. that way too. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen that actually. See, it doesn't matter if somebody's active or not, you're going to be paying for them. Right. So I would probably, in a situation like yours, I would post someplace where that community, where you already have access to that community and make them do what Philip said was like, hey, there's this new Slack community. If you want to sign up, go here. So you can kind of prune the list down to the people who actually think they're going to interact rather than pulling everybody who may or may not and then... Yeah. You know, because it's like I mean, the cheapest plan is like eight dollars per person per month. Yeah. The other thing is, is that I could oh, wow. just say, you know, you have to pay more to be in and then only the people who think it'll be worth it to them will sign up. Right. Chuck, what about piloting this idea with a subset of your larger community to see two weeks pilot program just to see what it's like? Is, is that mm-hmm. something that would you think would have value? Because then it might kind of tell you, you might be able to kind of measure the value and know whether this is a an add-on that you charge for or just part of the core offering, that kind of thing. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I could do it on the free Slack and then I'm just, you know, the issue is, is that, yeah, that backlog disappears, but I could see if people are even going to use it first and it won't cost me anything other than some time to set it up. Yeah, you yeah. only hit the 10K limit for a while with a new one. So then just invite that maybe the Kickstarter group or the, 
you know, some of the, this initial group and just see how active it is and what people feel like it's worth it or not worth it. Right. And, and Jonathan earlier was talking about kind of priming the pump, uh, or maybe actually Reuven was, sorry, Reuven, you were talking about that. I've seen that too, where it just depends on the mix of people, but sometimes at first you've got to be, you've got to be the person who jumps in there and initiates all the conversation and kind of models what the group could be about. And that could take some time and effort. So I, I think doing kind of a limited scale rollout might be something to really consider for anyone who's thinking about doing this rather than inviting, you know, your entire email list or whatever group you've got. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly because it would be so easy for somebody to just poison the vibe. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. I mean, really, you really need to be protective about it and make sure people, it's not even necessarily on purpose, you know, like right. I've had a couple of, geez, when I think back over it, I've had a couple of communities over the years and it's really helpful to to just articulate clearly for everybody who's invited that these are the rules of the road. Uh, these are sort of the level of expectation about things like foul language or just simple stuff, spamming people, yeah. you know, like it's okay to post links to stuff, but don't be ridiculous. You know, as long as it's in the, in or, or no links, please don't, you can link to anything that's not your, you know, right. whatever your rules are going to be, everybody's going to, not everybody, but people will be wondering about those things. People who are more conscientious will be wondering whether or not it's cool to do those things. And, uh, you know, we have, geez, I can't remember which Slack it is, but we have a, we actually have a Slack that's the, the step before another Slack. So <laughs> you like come into the big Slack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like you come into the, the main room kind of, and then, then certain people who we recognize would be a great fit for another one that's smaller maybe, you know, say, Hey, would you be interested in being this other one? And, you know, everybody who's in the small slack, you know, has to pay. It's like a hundred bucks a year. And there's like an onboarding document, you know, it's like a two, two or three page PDF of like, this, this is what the slack's for. This is the level of discourse. These are the expectations, all that stuff. Chuck, in your case, it's worth doing that for you to just get your head straight first about Mm -hmm. how you want it to be. And if you do that, I think it has a lot of, it just makes your life so much easier because then you don't have any like silly slap fights to deal with later. Yeah. Cause then and we ran into one or two issues with the discourse with our forum for Ruby rogues where, you know, somebody came in and they, you know, they crossed the line. And so we had to kick them out and we had to, you know, go over, <laughs> we had to go over, this is why this isn't okay. And this is the code <laughs> of conduct and blah, 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 blah. Cause we didn't really shine a light on it and say, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that stuff's a lot easier if if it's predetermined before mm-hmm. you set oh, the yeah. group up. And I, I don't have any links, but I think there's some people have open sourced their sort of community codes yeah. of contact. And so there's boilerplate language out there that could give you a head start if you're looking yeah. at doing something like this yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I'll probably just start with the free Slack and see where that gets us. And then, yeah. And then if I want to move up from there, then maybe I'll make it a paid thing and let people decide whether or not they're going to stay or go. You know, with a a community component to something that's meant to be kind of an educational experience or a behavior change experience. Mm -hmm. One of the other things I've noticed is it, it kind of becomes my job in, in my life, in my positioning mentoring program to check in on everybody. And if someone is quiet or falling behind to try to find out why that is, is that right. because they've just had a super busy week or is it because they're stuck on something? And that is much easier, much more easily done at a smaller scale. Let me tell mm-hmm. you than a larger scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've kind of set a a soft cap for mine at 10 people for that very reason. I just, I don't feel like I can be very effective when it gets beyond that point of like staying on top of what 10 different people are doing. Yeah. I'm thinking that I might offer a kind of a higher tier than that where it's, you know, more exclusive access, you know, where you can, you know, you can get questions on a regular basis or maybe have a weekly or, you know, every two weeks call with me or something. Mm. 
Yeah. The, the coffee with Chuck level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to hit 10 in my Slack, and I would have to do it 100% full-time if I was going to go over 10. It's like having, I have eight right now, I think, and the other people are, you know, mentors of people who um, aren't active or aren't actively paying, I guess, so alums. And uh, and just having the having the eight that I really should kind of have to pay attention to. There's eight that are basically paying me to answer their questions, so I have to definitely follow those eight and make sure I'm like really responsive for those people. And it's like it's probably between the phone calls and keeping up with the Slack room. It's probably twenty hours a week of doing with dealing with that. I John, I, I know one of my tendencies is to get to a certain level of like I'm delivering this much value and then feel like I should be delivering more value. I don't know if that's like the old Protestant work ethic guilt thing there or what. <laughs> like does that people, happen? Does that like happen? With you? It feels more valuable at first than. Right. Like, and then it's like, oh, well, this is just the norm that we get amazing advice at the drop of a hat. So what's next? Right. <laughs> Do you feel right. like that kind of dynamic where over time, if you don't manage your own expectations or something, they, they creep up kind of like scope creep almost? I don't think so. It hasn't happened to me yet because, you know, this has been since May that I've been doing this again. You know, I've coached over the years and the past on and off but this is a relaunch and of the relaunch it's only been like six months or so and i'm there's still we're still uncovering lots of stuff so i think i think when i'll when i'm sure i will get to that point and it'll be the point where i've stopped learning stuff and i'm just telling people the same thing over and over and over again which really is me projecting the low value it's not that it actually is low value it's that i didn't just learn it or I didn't, or it's not new to me. You know what I mean? So like yeah. you can see this, like I was in Alan Weiss's mentoring program and it just totally shined through all of his communications that he was completely sick of telling people this stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is so obvious. Why do I even have to tell this to you? You know? Right. And it came, you know, it came across as like an impatience type of thing. And, or maybe it was calculated that he was that way because I was being, you know, I was acting like a baby, you know, essentially, you know, like, you know, typical scenario, he would say, I would say, here's this situation that I have. Uh, I feel like I should do this. And he'd go, then do that. Like, <laughs> but it's more complicated than that. And he's like, no, it's not. You're making it more complicated than that. You know, so like very, you know, he's like, you already know what to do. Why are you calling me? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I don't see myself getting there, but I can appreciate that. But I'm there with other things. Yeah. I'm there with with like, you know, my whole mobile strategy business. If I have to tell one person, if I have to tell one more person that mobile's a big deal, I'm going to scream. <laughs> like, it should be so obvious by now that mobile is the dominant computing platform on the planet Earth. And it's only going to continue to dominate like more for the next five. You know what I mean? I could go on. It just makes me angry to even have to say it. It's like, look around. Everybody's on their phone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> don't you yeah. think that mat- it matters to you in your life, but you don't think it matters to your customers anyway. But I but I get impatient when in a, or I feel like to your question, when I go to give a conference talk on that stuff. I do get this sort of panic moment right before everything that right before every time I go on stage that everybody knows this already. They could be like, uh, no S Sherlock, like no kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And it never happens. They're all like, you know, wide eyed, like, wow, what a revelation. And so, yeah, I, I, I suppose I could get there, but Mm -hmm. it's a long way off. I had one quick question for Reuven. Reuven, you've done all kinds of live training. And what have you learned from that that you would want to translate to an online community? Like, what do you think is kind of vital to carry over from that live IRL experience to a, something like a Slack channel or a Facebook group? So, well, I'll actually make the, the comparison even more direct then, because um, I've done a lot of, most of my training has been live. And last week I did four days of online training. Which was like, my wife was like, I don't understand how you can do this. Because it, was me, it, it was like, you know, seven hours, eight hours, you know, a day, you know, minus breaks and everything of me talking to the computer and them typing back to me. It was like a really long webinar. And it, it was a little strange, but the most important thing was what's known in the community biz as presence. Like knowing that someone is there, knowing that they're listening, knowing that they're participating mm-hmm. in what's going on. Because if you're in a, like a live classroom, 
you see them. You see them checking Facebook. You see them, no, no. You see them like participating. You see them talking to you, asking questions, or at least they hopefully are. And if you're online, you have no idea if you're in a tiny window or a big window, or if they're playing games or if they're whatever. Yeah. So I was constantly trying to engage them, and this was in the class. I'll get to the, the community in a moment. Like try to engage them to get feedback, not just ask, "Is this good? Is this not good?" But um, you know, I would give a lot of exercises, and I would ask if they had questions about that. Um, and I think I'm going to take it to the next level and ask them to present the exercises next time I do this. Now, a, a community is going to be a little different because you still want to have that sense of presence where people are around and participating, but it's not as intense as a course. And so somehow you want to like, I, I think to some degree it's going to be a matter of being a moderator, right? Uh, at where it is something like a forum where you want to come in and sort of ask questions on a regular basis every day or two even. So not just what are you up to, but I just had this experience. What do you think? Or who's been having problems with this? And really try to sort of force people to participate more because it's for everyone's benefit, right? It's not just that you're being like, oh, I want to make sure they get their money's worth, so I'm going to ask them questions. But it's more like those prodding questions can then turn the community into something that will then work on its own or mm. to a larger degree work on its own. One other mm. thing that I've seen related to this is that um, by asking those questions. So I've been doing the 15 minute calls with podcast listeners. If you're listening to this show, you want to talk to me, freelancershow.com slash 15 minutes. Uh, so I've, I've kind of had this one on one sort of thing with the community and I could see this with the community as well where, yeah, you know, you ask them those questions and you get answers that make you think about it. You get answers that are going to get you to write a blog post. You're going to get answers that prompt you to give them more advice or better advice or, you know, better fitted content on the podcasts or whatever else that you're doing. And, uh, you know, so the, the presence is important, not just for them, but also for you and what you're working on. Absolutely. I think one of the advantages then of having additional people, not just you running the community, not just the participants, but having these additional helpers, experts, partners, however you want to call them, adds to the chance that you'll have more participation and more community, and thus it'll sort of feed on itself. Because, like, you know, the worst thing is you go into a community and there's nothing. And then you say, boy, <laughs> it's like it goes down, I don't want to participate in this. So you have to jumpstart it to some degree. And having additional people who have an interest in the subject is one way to do that. And so yeah, that, nobody, my question nobody wants to is, eat in an empty restaurant. Right. Right. So my, my question for, for you guys is, like, I think, Jonathan, I know you said that you do this. Philip, I think you said you participate in this. So how who do you invite to participate as a sort of, I don't know, outside guest expert? And how does it work? Like, is it on a limited time basis? Do you pay them? Mm. Like, how, how does it work? You send them surprise your, checks. For your- <laughs> Just, just hire a bunch of actors to show up. <laughs> you, you what what does it say on that, people? like, a colonial pen, the, a compensated spokesperson under Alex Trebek's name? Right. For, like, the, the, like the Slack channel yeah. um, in particular. Like, yeah. how, who, who do you get to participate, and, and how does that work? You mean besides the students? Besides the students, right. Because it sounds like you have more sort of external participants than students, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I have invited a bunch of people over time, but really only a handful of them are actually active. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe four or five people are active. And they were people, you know, I, I'm not paying them. Um, Brennan is paying his. I, you know, I could imagine getting to a point where I would pay them in, in mind. But it's it's so much more informal than that. I mean, Philip is one of them. He can tell me, you tell me. I feel like it would put pressure on them to feel like they had to be there uh, and really... It's such an educational thing for everybody involved. The people I invited, uh, I, I handpicked people that I knew were good educators, that you know they could articulate their ideas well. It wasn't just that they were smart and that had different skills, so there wasn't a ton of overlap. Mm-hmm. So you know, I invited Philip, positioning God, uh, Kai Davis, email outreach God. I have Kurt Elster, just totally great example of shipping. Like he just ships. He knows how to get stuff out the door. And he's a great case study for the difference between being a generalist and a specialist. Um, mm-hmm. Who else? Mark Richmond, I brought in from Skeleton Key, who runs a firm. None of us run firms. So he has like as something, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get the number wrong, but he has like 20 or 30 employees. So he brings that, that angle to it. And, He's not totally on board with everything I say. So he's great for pushback when he brings in, you know, he'll say, you know, I'll say something and he'd be like, how would you make that work for a firm or, or 
well, that, you know, he, he will, he'll keeps me honest, basically. Paul Boag has, uh, is in there. He's not super active, uh, because he's I used to listen around. to his podcast. That's a, my first fit, my favorite podcast. It was like when, it, whenever I was a guest on that show, I thought my head was going to explode. It was the best. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, there's just a, I, so to answer your question and not to like name drop, the, the, the answer is that I pick people who I thought would be complimentary, good educators, sh- like the smartest people in their vertical at their specialty and, and would stand to gain from it. I think, I, I think it's fair to say, but Philip, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that they're learning it a lot as much as me and maybe as much as the students. You are correct, sir. From my perspective, it's, you know, like my participation kind of scales up and down with my level of busyness with client work, basically. So when I get super slammed with client work, which sometimes happens, I'm not as available. And I just kind of cherry pick where I want to contribute. So I don't feel a lot of pressure to, you know, be an expert on everything because I'm not. (laughs) And I don't you know, even try to look that way. Uh, I just look for opportunities to add value and it, it really works. I mean, it's amazing to me that, you know, people who can make so much money selling their time will give, give their time away to something like this. And they, they do consistently because those kind of people tend to be people who are always learning and interested to kind of see things from that student learner perspective. So, Reuven, you know, I think you could probably, you know, for your coaching, your instructor coaching thing, you might be able to recruit a couple of other instructors who could see that kind of win-win dynamic by being a mentor or whatever you want to call them. Right. Right. I mean, I spoke to one already whom I know, and he was excited about participating, whatever, you know, what I'm going to do on that front. But I wasn't sure then. Do I reach out to people who I know? Do I reach out to people? I mean, it's sort of odd to reach out to someone and say, hey, I do training. I'm doing this coaching thing. I'd love for you to participate. Uh, They might be flattered and then say yes, but it just seems a little odd to me. Yeah, I would guess that you'll have better luck with people you have an existing relationship with. Agreed. But I do have a few. I I do know a few such people, so I can start with those, I guess. There's a meta thing that happens, too, that they might be interested in, which is that they'll learn how to do it. So like all the questions that you're asking right now about the room, you wouldn't have any of these questions if you're one of the mentors in there. So, so you can, that will be potentially a benefit to other people that you invite to, to come in as mentors or coaches because they'll get a front row seat at, you know, how a way to do it at least. And maybe they would do it differently or maybe they wouldn't, maybe they will just, you know, end up being your competitor, but I doubt it. I don't know. I mean, I, I signed up to do ones for other people. Even if I wasn't getting paid, I would do it. But it's nice to get the surprise checks. <laughs> you know, another thing I'm noticing is that a lot of the examples of communities we've touched on thus far have a they're a hybrid thing so they are a slack channel plus like in the case of my positioning mentoring thing it's uh, weekly office hours calls so people show up ask questions and jonathan talked about one-on-one coaching calls with participants i don't know that that's a vital gotta have it part of this but it's just interesting to me that so many of our examples have that like brennan dunn's dyfc program same deal you know there's a heavy group component but there's also uh, in in the next version a like a live group thing not live one-on-one but still there's that live component and i don't i'm not saying that's mandatory but pretty interesting that it's uh, commonly a part of that model right well they let you ask different sorts of questions like there's definitely a sense of you want to ask the expert whom you're paying but then there's also the aspect of uh, there's i definitely i mean i so i've been sort of on the taking receiving end of uh, Brennan's class, the W freelancing clients class. And um, I mean, it's just sort of nice to see all these other people all trying to up their game and improve and people struggling with similar things and different things and helping each other out. My biggest beef with that by far is just the fact that it runs on Facebook. Um, I might just find that to be an, almost intolerable for, for forum stuff, but otherwise the people are great. And the, uh, the postings are, are sort of inspirational and it's inspirational, not in the sense of, Oh my God, look at all the amazing stuff this, this person has done. But, Wow, look, after a long slog going through things, they managed to make things work, which is in many ways more <laughs> like more inspirational because it makes it more real. Yeah, the yeah. real story. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of couple of interesting things that come out of it that are along those lines. One is that if you, you know, for one of the, for a student who is 
maybe more deliberative or just more fearful, whatever. They're just not moving as quickly when they see everybody else or not. Maybe it's not, it's never everybody else, but when they see other people struggling through some of the same things they are and then it working, they're like, Oh, wow. Like I, that person was just like me yesterday. And now today they're ahead of me because they did send out those cold outreach emails that I cannot bring myself to write. And they, they totally worked. It worked. You know, it's like, it's different than me saying it works. It's different than me being like, you know, here's evidence that it, here's evidence that it worked for me last year. They're literally in a, an almost real environment. I mean, it's like a real time environment with someone else who's in the same position they are. And it worked today, you know, it worked just then. And, you know, and everybody gets all excited because they know how scared they are to do it. And so it's just super, I mean, I love it. It's super gratifying when it does work like that. And it's not accountability exactly like the phone calls are the accountability, but the sense that there's sort of like hopeful, but at the same time, it lights a fire under them to like, okay, I really have to just press send on that email that I've been laboring over for a week. And it's, uh, I think the fact that it happens together in the group and they're not all starting at the same time, but you know, when it, when it does happen in front of you, it's even more persuasive. So that's, that's a huge benefit. I do want to talk through platforms for a minute. I mean, I've we, we've got Facebook groups, like we've said, we've got discourse forums, we've got Slack. You know, we we probably there are probably other ways to do it. I I kind of agree with you, Reuven, when you talked about the Facebook groups kind of being unfortunate. It's not my favorite platform to be on anyway. You can tell when uh when I'm working on an app that integrates Facebook because that's when I'm on it. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> I'm not. And there are a couple of communities that I'm a member of that have communities on Facebook, and I just I'm never on them, and and it's really hard. But uh, outside of people like me, I found that that is actually one of the better places to be because everybody's there, and everyone will see the updates to the community, and it kind of notifies you that people are talking in there. So if you're a freelancer that's not in like the tech space or something where we feel like we have better options then you may want to look at going with Facebook. Um, yeah. You know, if you want the real time, we talked about that with Slack versus Discourse, which is really easy and less expensive to set up. You can run a one gigabyte RAM server and it'll support, you know, a, a several dozen people before it really starts to slow down. Uh, you have to turn on swap so it doesn't crash when you set it up. But once it's up, then it doesn't hardly ever use the swap space at all. In other words, it doesn't slow down when it runs out of because it doesn't run out of memory. And even then, you upgrade from the one gigabyte to the two gigabyte of RAM, and you know then you're set for hundreds of people. So he lost me. Did he lose you, Philip? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Discourse. Discourse. Setup. Oh, oh, Discourse is forum software. <laughs> Maybe I should oh. back up. So Discourse is forum software. It's written in okay. Ruby on Rails and Ember, if you care about the tech. I thought you meant Discourse in general. No. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> so so it's forum All software. All Discourse must take place in a one gigabyte machine now. Right. I was like, <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I'm with you now. They have a special port to stick your head in. Um, but, but yeah, so, um, so the forums are usually a little less work to moderate. They're also, well, depending, depending on the people you let in, they cost less and they're a little easier to, to get up and running. And, you know, you, if you don't need the real time aspect, then that seems to work well. Uh, one issue that I'm running into though, is that I've set up discourse communities for all of the different shows. And the only one that's active is Ruby rogues. So I'm wondering if Slack is a better fit for those other groups. I have, I mean, I'm in a group that Jonathan hinted at earlier, and we started out with both. We started out with a asynchronous forum type tool, and we started started out with Slack. And we initially had some highfalutin ideas about, you know, well, the more complex stuff we'll discuss through the, uh, you know, the forum, and that did not happen. I mean, it's just instantly Slack mm-hmm. was like the hot girl in the room <laughs> for yeah. all us guys. We just were there. It, uh, it never really changed. So I think part of it just kind of, it's one of those things that emerges out of the group that you have and, and being willing to be fluid to keep the community together or better serve the community. I, I think is something to, to try to prioritize when you're, when you're doing a community is like check in with the community and say, Hey, what's, is this working for you? Mm-hmm. Seemed like a great idea at first. Is it still a good idea? Yeah. I've been, 
I think that I think the key there is I think a lot of things can work, but I think there has to be one and exactly one mm-hmm. because group group buzz I think is what we used and it could have worked. I mean, it wouldn't have been nearly as I don't think the community aspect or the, the friendships would have emerged. I mean, nobody knew anybody in that room. And, uh, you know, it became like, you know, like going to people's weddings and stuff now. So it's like that never would have happened if we were just in a forum. I, I cannot imagine that happening. But I'm in, you know, I'm like in Alan Weiss's forums and it's a natural fit for that group. You know, it's like a bunch of suit and tie management consultants that, you know, are all in their think pads. And that's where they go. Right. It's like, <laughs> that's fine. But uh, I'm a total mobile phone guy. I carry two phones everywhere. And I, you know. Pretty much the only time on my laptop is when I'm coding or talking to you guys. So uh, <laughs> I, I need something that's a good mobile solution. And, and it's it's complex because you don't want to be overwhelmed with notifications. But at the same time, you do want to, you know, no one's someone's down at the pub. You know, you want like if you've got uh, an hour to kill, it's a great place to hang out and contribute where you can and, and pick up information where you can. Yep. All right. Well, I kind of need to start wrapping up, so let's go ahead and do some picks. Uh, Slack. (laughs) (laughs) Ruben, do you want to start us with picks? Sure thing. Brian Harris is this guy who does, has a site called Video Fruit, and he talks a lot about email lists and building up your email list. And he's got a course starting, which which I'm not joining, but... In, in, as part of the promotion for his course, he's put out this ebook called The Top 16 Email List Building Strategies of 2015. And he basically went and interviewed about a lot of people who have managed to build massive email lists. And he goes through a lot of different strategies. And none of them is like, oh, wow, I never would have thought of that. But all of them are, huh, I've heard of that. And maybe I should try it because for my particular case, it would actually work well. And it's everything from you know, trying a uh, hosting a workshop or a webinar to uh, giving away uh, lead magnets to um, giving personal time to having contests. And he really lays it out, I think, pretty simply. Um, and it's definitely worth taking a look. I'm not exactly sure where you can get it. I know you can get it from all the places where he's advertising his course. So I will try to find a, a decent link to where you can get it and put that in the show notes. But uh, definitely worth taking a look at if you want to grow your email list, which you should. Anyway, that's it for this week. Nice. Jonathan, what are your picks? So obviously Slack. It's uh, well worth the money. Uh, but we also mentioned Kai Davis earlier, and I want to let people know that he's got a new book available that I think is amazing. It's called The Traffic Manual, and it's about a uh, strategy for drawing this audience in the first place. So increasing traffic to your site so you can get them to sign up, jump on your email list. And uh, he's just, I mean... I said it before, he's like an outreach genius. It's unbelievable how you just, you can just show him an email and he rewrites the thing from top to bottom and you just, it's breathtaking how you can immediately see how much better it is. So my pick is the traffic manual by Kai Davis. Awesome. Philip, what are your picks? I have a pick. I hinted at it last week. It's a good one. So to the folks at home, if you be turn into any kind of uh, idiot when you call up someone for a sales call, raise your hand. I'm raising my hand too. Not really, but uh, should be. (laughs) Sales is something that's always been frightening and weird to me. And after reading the book, that's my pick this week, I understand why, which is it's like when people like me get into a situation where we're doing any kind of outbound sales, it's like we forget everything else about us. And we're just like, oh, got to get the sale. I've come across a book that speaks directly to that problem. It's uh, called Selling to Big Companies by Jill Conrath. It's uh, not a new book. It's been out, um, I'm looking here, since like 2012. And it's like the best collection of advice that I've seen that fits with the concept of positioning yourself as a narrow expert and carrying that when you do that, you generate a value proposition. And Jill talks about how you translate that into a sales process, how you translate your understanding of your unique value proposition into outbound sales. The book is meant to help you sell to big companies, but I think the advice is equally applicable to medium selling to medium and small companies because those companies are even more uh, value conscious than big companies are. And I think the same approach is going to work just as well. The book's 
just chock full of super practical advice, things like how to not sound like an idiot when you leave a voicemail. Who knew that there was any other way other than to sound like an idiot? But this book talks about stuff like that. So that's my pick for this week. Awesome. All right. I've got two picks. One is it's it's something I've been playing with lately. It's called Relative Finder. And what it does is it uses a genealogical database from FamilySearch.org. That's my other pick. Uh, FamilySearch.org is a free genealogical tool that you can use online. They've got all kinds of history, historical, and family stuff. I mean, you kind of have to hook your line in, but then there's all kinds of stuff in there for finding out stories. It's it's more than just the genealogical data, but it actually has stories and things in there. And it's, it's really awesome. But one of the things that it does is it'll connect you up through generations. And if you go to relativefinder.org, and this is the really cool part, it'll actually tell you some of the people that you're related to. So uh, for me, since Family Search is run by the LDS or Mormon Church, it has all the LDS history people in there. But it also shows me how I'm related to presidents of the United States. So, for example, my wife is 13th cousins with Barack Obama. Um, <laughs> yeah, my 10th great grandfather came over on the Mayflower. I have a 10th great uncle and 10th great aunt who were in the Salem witch trials. Uh, I mean, just fascinating stuff. I'm related, you know, some distantly and some not so distantly to several past presidents of the United States. I didn't see Barack Obama on my list, but I am 13th cousins once removed from my from my wife. Um, so, I mean, there's all this fun stuff. Um, you can create a group on there and then you can see how you're related to other people in the group. And so there's a group for the city I live in. I just created a group on there for dev chat. So if you get on there and you connect everything up and then you join the dev chat group on relativefinder.org, then you can see how you're related to me and to anybody else who joins the group. So anyway, it's it's been fascinating and so fun to look at. So uh, I'm definitely putting that in there. You can deselect the groups that you're not interested in. So, you know, if you're not interested in the Mormon historical groups, you can just uncheck those. And, and then it'll show you presidents of the United States and people who came on the Mayflower. I think I had a 10th great grandfather that signed the Constitution I mean, so all of this stuff, you know, and so you, you get to see all this stuff that's related to, to history and to interesting people today. So anyway, I've been having a lot of fun with it, so I'm definitely recommending that. And those are my picks. And I guess we'll just wrap it up right there. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.